Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time, from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life or of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God alone. Oh, oh wait, of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I test to you this day, testify to, to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to take care to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your, your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore be alert, remember, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears, admonish everyone with tears, and now I command you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the word of the Lord Jesus how he himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. And when, when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful, most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. Hi, uh, welcome to Good News Church. Uh, my name's Fred. Uh, especially if you're new, even if you're not new, um, I guess you might not recognize me because I shaved and I got a haircut. And um, yeah, I didn't realize like people were like, oh, you look so nice and you look so clean, which is another way of saying normally you look so dirty and you're such a slob. <laughs> so it's something I'll take into consideration moving forward, you know, week to week uh, decorum and things like that. Um, so a few weeks ago, Pastor Sam emailed me and he wanted to see if I wanted to preach. And it's been a while, a long while since I've preached, maybe a few years. And it's not something that I was necessarily like dying to do. Uh, and in that email, he said, there's no pressure, no pressure. Uh, but if there's something you feel like saying to the church, then you should feel free. And at that point, I really didn't have anything, you know, ready to go, as it were. But I got that email while Jen and I were in Iceland. And 
at that time of year, there was only four hours of daylight. My sleep schedule was crazy. And uh, after I got this email, I like couldn't sleep. And <laughs> I was up until like three in the morning. And then, you know, I kept like opening the blinds to see if the northern lights would appear. And they didn't. Uh, but I couldn't get this passage out of my mind. And I couldn't stop thinking about where our church was at. Um, we've been meeting here uh, at the Church of the Good Shepherd for almost 10 years. And in the next two weeks, as you've heard, we're going to be moving to a new space and a new time. And I also knew that, as Matt mentioned, that our church is reading through the book of Acts together, and we're asking people to pray and to fast with us. So after a few days, this passage, Paul's farewell address to the Ephesian elders was still with me while we were looking at waterfalls, while we were looking at glaciers, while we were out chasing the northern lights. And so here I am. (laughs) The message is still in my heart. So today we're going to talk about what it means to say goodbye and what it means to say goodbye as a Christian. So if you can, join me in a word of prayer, and then uh, we'll go into this message. Uh, God, as we come to this place and we acknowledge that you are here with us uh, when we gather to worship you, uh, we just want to first and foremost give thanks for your faithfulness. Um, So many times uh, we might not have had the answer, but you came and you spoke to us. So many times we were struggling with things that were going on personally or in our families or in our jobs. And in this place, in these walls, we found comfort. Uh, We were able to worship you. I know that some people were baptized here. I know that some people got married here. And uh, as we think about these things, we recognize that you've been with us, and you've helped us, and you've given us strength. And we pray that as we look forward to the next stage of where our church is going to be, that you would challenge us. You would challenge us to give of ourselves. You would challenge us to look outside of these walls and to really find people uh, that you're calling us to love with the love of Christ. I know a lot of us have experienced um, difficult times, uh, even over these last 10 years. And I pray that as we continue to struggle, that you would help us to persevere, And that we would ultimately draw comfort from you, from your presence, and especially draw comfort from your resurrection. So we thank you again for this time, and it's in your holy name that we pray. Amen. So as we think about this topic of uh, saying goodbye, I could not get a few thoughts out of my mind. Um, I couldn't get the boys to men song, It's So Hard to Say Goodbye, out of my mind. And uh, truth be told, I listened to it maybe like a hundred times this week as I was writing my message. And, you know, reflecting on my own life, I realized that the Billy Joel quote is true. Uh, Life is a series of hellos and goodbyes. You know, our parents leave for work and they say goodbye. We start school at a young age and we have to say goodbye. And uh, I remember how traumatic my first day at school was when I was four. And I realized I was there alone. And I was like, oh, my God, where's my mom? And I started weeping. And then the teacher made all the, you know, other kids in the class come around me and give me a hug, which was, you know, cute and embarrassing. And uh, I guess this happens over and over again. Not me crying, but, you know, saying goodbye. And um, when we leave home for college or when we move somewhere for a new job or a relationship or some of us start dropping off our kids at daycare or at school, uh, we realize that life is a series of hellos and goodbyes. We're training ourselves to say goodbye. And uh, saying goodbye is a reminder that no person is an island. We're supposed to experience things together. Uh, We're supposed to talk about things together. And we're supposed to share our lives with one another. And so there's a pain, uh, maybe there's a fear, and there's an even fracturing when we're forced to say goodbye to somebody uh, that we're close to or someone that we love. Now, technology is starting to alter this picture a little bit, uh, especially with things like FaceTime or uh, something I discovered, the City University of London's Kissinger, which is a silicon device that attaches to your phone and mimics the pressure and feel of your kisses and sends it to somebody else who has the other thing attached. 
um, which is, um, you know, if you want to do that, I guess that's fine. Uh, so technology is helping us, uh, but as of now, it's still limited. And I think it's limited first because it can't help people without access to it. And on a deeper human level, uh, human beings are more than what they look like, what they sound like, or what they feel like. Uh, the Bible tells us we're made in the image of God. And the 16th century reformer John Calvin says that inside of all of our hearts, there's a seed of a religion or a sense of divinity. And it's that thing that can't be captured by zeros and ones or silicon uh, that make us who we are. And I think we understand this emotionally because sometimes we want someone to be close, even if we, we're not going to be in the same room with them, even if we're not going to talk with them, yet we draw comfort simply from knowing that they're around. And it shows us that who we are, the very thing that makes us uh, alive can't be captured with technology, at least not yet. And so even in today's world, we still have to say goodbye. And we do it for all kinds of reasons. I think being in New York or being in Good News Church, it's easy to account a lot of these reasons. People leave for relationships, they leave for school, they leave for jobs, they leave to be closer to their families, and sometimes they leave because uh, the city is so expensive. Uh, and now when we pause and we think about our typical reasons for saying goodbye, I think we have to acknowledge at one level how blessed we are. A lot of these reasons lead to greater opportunity. But when we think about the world around us and the world outside of this place and the world that Christ calls us to go to and the world that we're supposed to be interacting with, and I think a lot of us do interact with uh, through our jobs and through our friendships, uh, we see that there are often sadder and more traumatic reasons why people say goodbye including when relationships have broken, when people get arrested, when people get deported, and sometimes worse. And one prayer I have is that as Pastor Sam challenges us to build bridges into the world, I hope we can bring the light of the gospel to places like that, to places where people are hurting and they feel like they have nowhere else to turn. And that leads us to Paul, Apostle Paul. Why is Paul saying goodbye in this passage? If you look at verses 22 and 23, he tells us his reason. It says, and now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem bound in the spirit, not knowing what shall befall me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions wait me. Paul is going to Jerusalem bound, or as another translation says, constrained by the Holy Spirit, and he's going there for a very particular reason. And the book of Acts tells us this story. It's because Paul's ministry was controversial. He shared the gospel, which is basically a message of hope in life, with everyone. Even though he was Jewish, he preached to Gentiles, who are basically non-Jews. And just to give a little bit of background as to what the controversy was, circumcision had been the sign of God's covenant with Abraham for 2,000 years. And by Paul's day, it was one of the primary ways that Jewish people set themselves apart and reminded themselves of all that God had promised to them. It was for them a rite of passage, but also a unifying sign for their communities, which had been spread throughout the entire Roman Empire. And when Paul preached to the Gentiles, he basically told them, it's not necessary for you to get circumcised. In essence, he was saying that the hope and the life that's in the gospel does not depend on what you look like. It does not depend on human effort. Uh, the gates of the kingdom of heaven had been opened for all people through Christ. Now, to hear from Paul himself, we can look at the book of Ephesians. And there he writes, Though the Gentiles were originally alienated and strangers to God without hope and without him, now in Christ, we who are once far off have been brought near in the blood of Christ. The two, that is Jews who are close and Gentiles who are far off, have been made one in Christ. Now, hearing this message was probably very liberating for the Gentiles, but for Jewish believers, 
understandably, they felt very threatened. They're wondering if Paul was trying to erase their culture. And so Paul is going to Jerusalem to meet with other church leaders and discuss these issues and decide what to do next. But before he gets there, he calls these Ephesian elders to Miletus, and he wants to say goodbye and offer his farewell address. And what happens, and what can we learn from this goodbye scene? I think the first thing that we learn is, when you say goodbye to someone, you're saying goodbye to a past version of yourself. Uh, I think as many of you know, one of my favorite comedians is David Letterman. And he was on air for 33 years and officially uh, retired on May 20th, 2015. You know, the saddest day of my life. Uh, and Jen and I were lucky enough to be at his last show and enthusiastic enough to be chosen to sit in the front row. Uh, by enthusiastic, they meant ethnic. Uh, but, you know, I'll take it. And um, leading up to May 20th, uh, his off-air date, one thing I noticed is that celebrities and comics who stopped by to say goodbye were not only thinking about their relationship with Letterman, but thinking about their own lives and thinking about all the things that happened to them and all the things that they had done while Dave was on the air. And I think something similar happens to us as well. When we say goodbye to someone whom we've known for a long time, we think about when we first met them, and we also think about who we were when we first met them. And we begin to ask, what have I done in that time? How was the present day me different than the me of 10 years ago? And Paul does the same thing here. And he tells us two important things about who he was and what he did while he was with the Ephesian church. First, in verses 20 and 21, and verses 26 to 27, he tells us that he was a gospel preacher. He taught in public, and he taught both Jews and Gentiles about faith in Jesus Christ. But the second thing that he tells us comes in verses 33 and 34. Paul tells us that his primary concern in doing ministry was not to gain money. It was not for personal profit. He was not after silver, gold, or clothing. Instead, his primary goal was to use his resources to help those who are weak. His primary goal was to use his resources to help those who are weak. And he even tells us the reason why he did this. Quoting Jesus, he says, It is more blessed to give than to receive. So as a church, uh, we've been meeting here at the Church of the Good Shepherd for about 10 years. And I know not all of us have been here that entire time, but I still think it's a good time to ask ourselves the question that Paul asked himself here. What have we done in the last 10 years. Now, this can be a really frightening and disheartening question depending on the metrics that you use. For example, I could ask very simplistic religious questions designed to evoke guilt, like uh, how many times did you read the Bible in the last 10 years? Or how many hours of prayer have you prayed in the last 10 years? And the answer for all of us would be the same, not enough. Uh, And though, of course, I think these disciplines are important and perhaps even necessary, they are not the main thing. This can also be a dangerous question because our society provides a set of metrics uh, that whether they state it explicitly or not, we tend to use to measure our lives, especially for our 20s and our 30s. Questions like, did you graduate from a good college? Have you gotten a job yet? Have you gotten married yet? Do you have kids yet? Do you own property yet? Have you started saving for your retirement yet? Yet, yet, yet. Ah, 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 ah. On and on it goes, and it kind of gets like frustrating and maddening. And from these metrics, some of us, when we judge the last 10 years, we might feel like a failure. And some of us, if we have these things, we might have a false sense of accomplishment. But this is not the question that we should be asking ourselves when we evaluate how have we done these last 10 years. Here's the question uh, I think that we should be asking ourselves and which the passage itself recommends. In these last 10 years, have you given more than you've received? In these last 10 years, have you given more than you've received? 
Verse 35 tells us that Christ himself says that true blessing comes not from setting and meeting personal benchmarks, even spiritual ones, nor do they come from meeting society's standards for what a good, quote-unquote, fulfilled life should be. True blessing comes from giving more than you receive, especially to those who are weak. And so, have you given more than you received? Have you helped people who are weak? You know, giving in a place like New York is hard. Um, There's limited space, there's limited time, there's limited opportunities and resources, which I think breeds a spirit of protectionism, it breeds a spirit of competition, and it makes and pressures everybody to kind of just look out for themselves. We are, in in essence, being trained in this city to receive and not to give. For example, uh, I've seen a thousand crowded, sweaty, angry lines over the last ten years in this city. Lines for the bus, lines for the subway, lines for movies, lines for Shakespeare in the park, lines for a restaurant, lines to get into a club, lines to get a new iPhone. And not once have I seen somebody give up their spot to a stranger and move to the back of the line. The city makes us hungry to receive and hesitant to give. But Paul challenges us here to fight against that trend. And this is not just about money. Uh, it's about giving of ourselves. In verse 31, Paul tells us that he admonished the church for three years with tears, day and night. Paul gave his emotions, he gave his gifts, and he gave his time. And what's more, in verse 35, he tells us that he worked hard and he did these things because we must help the weak. And that means giving of ourselves not only to the rich and to the powerful or people who can help us get ahead in our jobs or people that can get us ahead socially, but giving to people who are poor and needy and and people who can't offer us anything in return. The question we should ask ourselves about these last 10 years is, have you given your time, have you given your gifts, have you given your emotions to people like this? Will people miss us the way that the Ephesian elders miss Paul when it's time for us to say goodbye to this city? And I think we get this. I mean, you think about the people in your life who you wish would leave, (laughs) and you think about why you want them to leave. And I think at the root of it is because they take and they take and they take and they take, but they don't give back. And now think about the people who you wish would never leave, people you wish you could grow old with. Why is it that you want them around? Isn't it because they've given you so much? Isn't it because they make you laugh? Isn't it because when you're going through a hard time, they're willing to be there for you? Isn't it because even in the midst of the craziness of their own life, they make time for you and they want to spend time with you? I think as we get ready to leave this space and start a new chapter as a church, I want to ask you, have you given more than you've received? And have you given to those who are weak? And I really think God has given Pastor Sam and the elders a clear vision for what our church should be doing, and that's building bridges moving forward. I think we should build bridges with each other, with other churches, and with people in the city who are not necessarily in the church, and especially people who have to say goodbye to not to embrace greater opportunities, but are forced to say goodbye for some of the reasons I mentioned earlier. This passage challenges us to give of ourselves, especially to those who are weak. And if we're honest, when we ask ourselves, how have I done the last 10 years, I think a lot of us would say, you know, I think I've received a lot more than I've given. Life is just crazy. There are so many things that were keeping me busy. But maybe now is the time to change that. Maybe this is the opportunity we have to reprioritize our lives and think about ways that we can give of of ourselves, especially to those who are weak. Now, I think the second thing that saying goodbye does is it reminds you and shows you what you've taken for granted. It reminds you and shows you what you've taken for granted. In verse 25, Paul says, And now, behold, I know that all among you whom I have gone preaching the kingdom will see my face no more. And then the chapter ends with verse 37 and verse 38. It says, And they all wept, and they embraced Paul and kissed him. 
sorrowing most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they should see his face no more. I think when you say goodbye to someone, it's a sad way of showing you who and what you've taken for granted. You get sad because you thought this person would be with you tomorrow, and you thought they'd be there to pick you up when you fell, and to celebrate when you succeed, and there's fear that, oh man, I might never see this person again. And you know, there's a utilitarian practicality to all of us, and maybe we think, uh, most relationships are replaceable, we can find someone else to fill that gap. Uh, but the truth is, we're all unique. We all have the image of God in us, and our relationships with one another are unique. We are all irreplaceable to one another. And that means every goodbye leaves a very particular, a very specific emptiness. It leaves behind a tailor-made sadness. And I think all of us understand the sadness uh, that comes when you say goodbye to someone you don't want to see go. Uh, while Jen and I were in Europe, you know, we were there for my education and also to travel. And I remember we spent a lot of times on planes and on trains. And this one time we were in Germany, I think, and uh, we saw this grandmother saying goodbye to her grandchild. And Germans are like hard-boiled, militant, no emotion on their face. And the whole time she's, you know, at the platform, she's like, oh, it'll be fine, it'll be fine, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. And then the doors close and she gets to her seat and then she starts weeping and dabbing her eyes. And, you know, all the emotion that she held back for her child, grandchild, were released. And I think this feeling is fairly universal and I think Paul knows it too. And so he provides us some advice. How should we deal with the sadness of saying goodbye. In verse 32, he says, Now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Again, I'll read it. Now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. The first thing uh, Paul does to help us through the sadness is to commend us to God. He commends us to God. And we see this echoing throughout the Psalms. The Psalms are a collection of prayer and poetry, and they're written mostly by David, who in his own life experienced incredible sadness and incredible loss, especially when it came to his children. Yet, in Psalm 25, he says, Turn to me, God, and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. Relieve the troubles of my heart and bring me out of my distress. Consider my affliction and my trouble. In the midst of his sadness and loneliness and mourning, David turned to God for comfort. In Psalm 23, he says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Christianity is not merely something that we do or a set of rituals that we keep or a teaching that we preserve. It's a relationship that we have with the triune God. And this is a God we can turn to when we face the inevitable loneliness and sadness that follows a goodbye because he invites us to have a relationship with him, which means he speaks to us, his presence is with us, he comforts us the way that a friend comforts us. And when we think about the gospel story that's presented to us, we understand that he himself understands what it means to say goodbye, as he had to say goodbye to his son who took on flesh for our sakes. And even Christ himself lived through the sadness as he wept uh, for his departed friend Lazarus. Our faith gives us a relationship with a God whose redemptive work centers on saying goodbye to someone he loves. So he understands our sorrow and can give us comfort uh, that we need in the midst of it. I think the second thing that Paul alludes to to help us with our sadness uh, is Christian community, uh, when he mentions our inheritance among all who are sanctified. And we see this, for example, with Isaac and with Rebekah. In the book of Genesis, we're told that Isaac's mother passed away 
and Isaac is distraught and he's afraid. And in the very next chapter, he talks about this long story about how Isaac goes and finds Rebecca through some of his servants. And it's a really crazy story, a lot of twists and turns, and it's clear that God is over the whole thing. And the chapter ends with these verses. Rebecca became Isaac's wife and he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. We understand that Isaac found comfort through Rebecca. He found comfort through community. Again, in Psalm 68, verse 6, it says, David rejoiced because he understands that God sets the lonely in families. God sets the lonely, those who are sad, those who have said goodbye to someone they love, in a family. Now, sometimes there are no replacements for the people we say goodbye to, as I mentioned. And when I say that we can find comfort in community, I don't want to suggest that people are replaceable. But as we give of ourselves and continue to love those who are still around us, I think a mysterious thing happens. We receive comfort not only from God, but from one another. Sorrow is supposed to be expressed here and with our friends. I think the last point I'd like to make is that in verse 32, Paul commends us not only to God, but to the word of his grace, which is able to build us up. Paul says we can find comfort not only in God, not only in community, but in God's truth. And then you have to ask the question, what truth? What is the truth that Paul is saying we should find comfort in in the midst of our goodbyes? And I think the resurrection is the truth that ultimately he's pointing you. It's the one that gives us the most comfort when we're forced to say goodbye to somebody. In Matthew 22, verses 31 to 32, Jesus affirms the resurrection and he says, Have you not read what God said to you? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. When confronting Martha, who had lost her brother Lazarus, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing me will never die. The resurrection gives us comfort in our goodbyes because it teaches us that within the Christian community, there are no permanent goodbyes. Every goodbye is temporary, and one day you will see that person's face again. It's like the story of Jacob and Joseph from the book of Genesis. Joseph was Jacob's favorite child, and you can imagine how that made his brothers feel. <laughs> they were not too happy, and they you know, bloodied his technicolor dream coat. Uh, and they actually sold him off into slavery and told Jacob, the father, that Joseph was dead. Now, Jacob, the father, was brokenhearted because he believed them. And someone he loved had been snatched away from him, and he thought he'd never see his face again. But as it turns out, Joseph was not dead, but somewhere else, growing in stature, growing in position, growing in glory. And when Jacob hears about this, he's shocked. And in Genesis 45:26, it actually says Jacob was stunned. He did not believe that Joseph was still alive. Now, many of us have had to say goodbye to someone we love, and most painfully through death or when they pass away. And we have this sense, we have this question, we're not sure if we're ever going to see them again. We can relate to Jacob's disbelief when we're told that they're still alive somewhere, growing in glory, and one day we'll see them again. But the truth is that this is what the resurrection promises. One day we will see them again, as Jacob was able to see his lost son, whom in a certain sense he received back from the dead. The resurrection is the reason why Paul is able to leave a church that he loves and a church that loves him back. And he knows that within the Christian community, there are no permanent goodbyes. One day we will see each other's face again. Now, as we get ready to close, um, I wanted to say that I think Paul's faith and life challenge our own. Um, in the modern world, we're used to wearing a lot of different hats. 
Uh, we're supposed to be good children. We're supposed to be good siblings. We're supposed to be good friends and good spouses and good citizens. And with every decision that we're making, if someone stops to ask us, why are you doing that? I think it's just going to depend on the type of hat that we're wearing. Paul only has one hat, a gospel hat. And no matter what he's doing, no matter when you stop him and you ask him, why are you doing that? His answer would be the same. I'm doing it for the gospel. I'm doing it for the church. He says this himself in verse 24. I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself. If only I may accomplish my course and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. I think the longer we linger on Paul's life, I think the stranger he seems to appear to us and the more he might look like a religious extremist that we should avoid rather than a model that we should emulate. So I just want to make two points, one observational, one theological, uh, to help us apply this. The modern era, as Mr. Miyagi has taught us, values balance. We strive to have balance with family and balance with job and balance with friends. We want to be healthy, not just emotionally, but physically. And often in this quest for balance, religion and our relationship with God becomes one equal piece amongst the others. Um, I'll tell you a funny story. I was um, a very moody and angst-filled teenager, if you can imagine. I listened to a lot of Metallica and you know heavy metal. And as soon as I got my license and the ability to drive myself to church, I stopped going to church, uh, which horrified my mother. And uh, so she started to pray for me, and she started to recruit family members to pray for me. And a few years later in college, I decided to take my faith more seriously. And through that commitment, uh, I decided not to go to medical school, but instead go to seminary and become a pastor. And uh, when I told my mom about this decision, she was horrified again. Uh, and later she told me, when she called one of the family members, she recruited to pray for me and told her the news. Uh, that person said, oh no, we prayed too hard. <laughs> um, but I think it shows us that's what we want. We want a balanced type of Christianity. But if all we have is a balanced Christianity, it may help us be better about going to church. It may help us teach our children good moral stories and lessons, or even help us socially to find friends who have valuing humility and kindness. But if that's all we have, then we won't know the God who confronted Moses in a burning bush, or the God of Isaiah who says, holy, holy, holy. We won't know the God of David who knew that Christ was his good shepherd and his God of comfort. And we won't be able to give more than we receive. And that leads to the theological point. Jesus says, what good is it to gain the whole world if you lose your souls? Knowing God is not one equal part among many for our lives. It's the hub. It's the foundation. It's the keystone from which other parts of our lives ought to be tied together. And because the Bible expresses this to us in so many different ways, perhaps Paul, even as extreme as he may appear to modern people, is the perfect person to challenge us from settling for a balanced but ultimately ineffective Christianity. So in closing, how can we apply what Paul teaches us about saying goodbye? And to make it practical, I want to apply it to a decision, the decision that probably all of us are going to face or are facing uh, in the next couple of years. Uh, how and what does Paul teach us when we're thinking about saying goodbye to New York? First, Paul says he's constrained by the Spirit. In other words, when we're deciding whether or not to say goodbye to New York, I think we should pray. And not only that, but verse 22 says that Paul did not know what was going to happen to him, so we should pray, especially in the midst of our uncertainty. Now this, of course, is easy to say but hard to do, because I know if I got my dream job tomorrow without hesitating, without stopping, without asking Jen, I'd say, yes, and I'll sign. 
and then I'd be in very big trouble. Uh, so before we do that, I think it's important that we reflect, we stop, and we pray. And I think the best way to do that is by cultivating a life of prayer. Um, we pray together uh, on a lot of occasions. Uh, we have community groups that meet once a week. If you want, you can come to there. I know Rose has been organizing monthly prayer meetings to pray for other churches and to pray for the city. You can come there. I think even some of us meet on Tuesdays and Thursdays to pray in the morning. You can come there. And I know that seems daunting. So just start small. Uh, pray before your meals. Pray before you leave your house and go to work. But find some way to make prayer a regular part of your life. Second, as we mentioned, Paul is going to Jerusalem for the sake of the church. And when we break down Paul's mission into its component parts, what we're really saying is, how will my leaving New York impact my relationships? How will it affect this church? And what types of bridges will I be building in the new place that I plan on going to? You know, of course, selfishly, I'd wish we'd all end up staying in, T in New York, but that's not realistic. Uh, since God is constantly calling us to different things. And you know, the question about how this will affect this church is not meant to guilt you. Obviously, Paul was willing to leave the Ephesian church and leave the Asian churches for the sake of his mission. But my gut feeling is that perhaps not enough of us consider the church and our relationships here when we make this kind of decision. We can easily think, well, there's literally thousands of other churches out there. What difference does it make if I go here or if I go there? But it makes a difference to me makes a difference to the people here, and it's going to make a difference to the people that you meet. Whether we realize it or not, we are one body. Some of you are good news hands. Some of you are the foot. Some of you are the stomach. How will your absence impact the church? And as you consider leaving, uh, what are you going to do? What kind of relationships are you going to build in the new place that you're going to? And the last thing, promise last thing, um, Paul was not deterred by suffering. Verse 23 says that the Holy Spirit testifies that imprisonment and afflictions await him. Greater personal opportunity and physical comfort should not be the main motivators telling us that now is the time to leave New York. If they are, then we're always going to be looking for the easiest way. We're always going to be looking for the path of least resistance. And it will never put us in touch with people who are weak It'll never put us in touch with people who have nothing to offer us. It'll never put us in touch with people in need of hope. Or it won't provide us with an opportunity to give more than we've received. Paul challenges us through his life by showing us that sharing the gospel, a message of hope, a message of life with all people and building bridges with people inside and outside of the church are more important than personal advancement and they're more important than physical comfort. I think as we get ready to say goodbye to this space, and prepare for what's ahead. Let's not put our own comfort and advantage first. Instead, let's pray, let's build relationships, and let's give ourselves especially uh, to people who are weak. So let's pray.